Hey, what up? And welcome to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host, and I am a fellow 20-something creating this podcast for you, my 20-something friends, or 20-somethings at heart. My hope and prayer is that you walk away from each episode feeling encouraged, challenged, and refreshed in your walk with the Lord. I invite some legit older, wiser women on to help us along this journey and remind us that we will indeed survive. I am pumped that you're here. Hey ladies, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Jamin about mental health. If you haven't listened to it already, you should go do that, obviously after this one. But this week, I get to sit down with my new friend, Lisa Brackman. We talk about her story of conversion from Mormonism to Christianity. I love this conversation. Uh, It was so interesting for me because so much of my extended family are Mormon. So it was cool to see and hear about how God brought her close and taught her more about his son, Jesus, and the God of the Bible. I'm so thankful for my conversation with Lisa, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So let's get on with it. Well, hey, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. It's a delight. Yes, of course. Yes. Why don't you just kind of start us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and what life is like for you right now? Okay. Well, I live in Orlando, Florida, and my husband, Dennis, and I have five kids. Oh, boy. We were, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Three biological kids and two who we adopted from Ethiopia when they were seven and nine. Nice. And. Presently, we work with Crew. We have been with Crew. It's an international missions organization for, I've been with Crew for 26 years, straight out of college. And I'm a spiritual director and working on my master's in spiritual formation. Cool. And planning my daughter's wedding, which happens in less than two weeks. (gasps) Oh my gosh, really? I know. Yes. That's so soon. I know, very soon. And launching a book, which there's that. Which has been quite consuming. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's a little like you've got a little bit going on there. Just a little bit. <laughs> and I have a son who got engaged three weeks ago and he'll be married <gasps> in May. So oh my gosh. So you're just marrying them all off, huh? <laughs> that's right. Wow. Yeah. That is so fun though. That's such a fun season of life. It is a fun season. I love it. So do you have any of them left in the house still or are they I all have out? Three are still at home. Our daughters who are from Ethiopia, they'd had no education. They didn't know English when they came. So they're two years behind grade level. Um, We just decided not to push them for many reasons to grade level. But um, so they're at home. And then we have a son who's a freshman in college and he concurrent enrolled during high school. So he's just finishing up college at home, which I love. Yes, that is yeah. fun. You're like, it yes, is. you could stay home. That's fine. Yeah, stay. He's really <laughs> I'll keep fun. you. <laughs> He's a party boy. So I love it would that. Be, yeah, it'd He's be quiet gift. without him, huh? It would be much quieter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I commend you for being a mom of five. I'm sure that Thank has you. been crazy, but also so fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes, all of it. Lots of different personalities. I bet all in one house. So many. I have a friend who came over a couple years ago. She was going to the beach with us one day and and she was downstairs with my kids for about four minutes while I was finishing getting ready upstairs. And I came down, she goes, wow, 
wow, there's so much energy in this home and so many personalities. She has two kids and she's like, wow. I mean, it's really fun for a few minutes. For a few minutes. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's affirming. That's why I feel on the edge of crazy so much of the time. (laughs) You're like, okay, good. At least somebody is affirming the fact that I'm not totally losing you know, I am right. losing my mind but it's okay that I'm losing <laughs> my mind I guess God. yes <laughs> exactly that's amazing I always you know any more than like two I'm like wow you got to be super mom well I think <laughs> I think you enter into a grace that kind of is mind-blowing as yeah. you have each additional child I'm sure. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to be prepared well because I'm a teacher and I have 19 of them every day. Wow. So I'm like, I'll be fine, right? I mean, probably <laughs> if will. I can entertain 19 all day, right. every day, then surely yeah. I'll be okay. Yes. I do think <laughs> teachers, have small, teachers have a foot forward in that whole journey of motherhood. <laughs> so I can luckily, then you. <laughs> right. Luckily, I'm, you know, getting to to train up in, in advance. So, (laughs) (laughs) which is a crazy life as well, but, uh, let's talk about your twenties. Uh, cause this podcast I'm sure, you know, is mostly for ladies in their Mm twenties. Um, and so I love to just ask guests, like, what was your, what were your twenties like? What was good? What was hard? Tell me all the things. Okay. Well, I kicked off my 20s and I had rebelled against Mormonism and the values of Mormonism my senior year of high school. Hmm. So still in my early 20s, I had come to the biblical Jesus in college, but I was still partying and still in bondage to some of those ways of life that had become addictions in my body. So I began my Hmm. 20s there in pretty severe a party culture and yeah. then moved to a complete surrender to Jesus and giving him access to all this idolatry and addiction and experiencing his complete release from their power over me, mm. which just catapulted me into a life with God and full-time ministry and married my husband, who was my campus director at the, what back then it was Campus Crusade for Christ on at the University of Utah. So I got married. And by the end of my 20s, I had three kids. And I so it was a a massive decade of transition. And during that time, I shared with my Mormon family, who I come from six generations of Mormons, Mm. that I was leaving the Mormon church to follow the biblical Jesus. Mm. And that came you know, we have to hold intention. There's always crucifixion and resurrection holding hands. And I love your question as a result, because it's like all at the same time, there's so much struggle and so much goodness, and it's hard to see both ends. So it's fun to look back. But I would say the deepest struggles of leaving my community and Mormonism was also you, I completely lost who I was, my whole identity and community. And for a season, so much of family life, um, definitely family life as it was. Mm. But at the same time, I gained a new identity. And so there was so much goodness and 
meeting the biblical Jesus and becoming an insider in his kingdom, although I was an outsider in the Mormon kingdom Mm. and um, enjoying the riches of God's grace relationally with him and in his community of people, especially in Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, the goodness there was just immeasurable. I'd never known grace before. Mm-hmm. And so I married Dennis, who was the man of my dreams. And mm-hmm. there was so much goodness in that I had dreamt of my wedding, or not my wedding day, but being married since I was a little, little girl, because it was mm-hmm. so ingrained in me that this was going to fulfill my dreams. And so the goodness in marriage was also offset with this idealism that I brought into the marriage, that Dennis mm-hmm. was going to fulfill me, that he was going to satisfy me and put a lot of pressure on him. And so I think I, in my 20s, I wrestled through all this idealism and the cost of that relationally. And at the same time, experiencing God's grace embodied through my husband. Yeah which totally transformed me. Um, I struggled with this whole linear theology of God. Like Mm -hmm. I do A and B and God's supposed to do C, this formulaic way Mm -hmm. of relating with the Trinity. And I really carried that for my youth. And I don't think that's just a Mormon thing. I see it in Christianity too. And it really affected how I viewed God. And... Mm -hmm brought a great deal of demand into the way I related with him. Like he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Dang Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) At the the same time, the gift in that is he wasn't doing what I was demanding he was doing. And he invited me into mystery. And Mm -hmm. so that's a long short list. No. Yeah. I was like, I, I feel like that matches up. I've heard of the term, like thinking God's like your genie in a bottle, right? It's like, okay, here's what I need you to do. Wait, why aren't you doing it? (laughs) Isn't that what you're for? You know, but uh, that's just totally us being selfish humans and, and thinking that God is, you know, just there to make our lives easier. And that's just not the case. He wants the best for us, but um, his best is not what uh, we think it is. Yes. Yes. He wants to, yes, he wants to fulfill (laughs) us totally in him Mm -hmm. so we can enjoy all these second thing gifts he's given us in creation. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I I would love to hear more of your story of just how God captured your heart um, to start following him. And you wrote a book about it out of Zion. Mm-hmm. So kind of just tell us and my listeners a little bit more about just your story of, of um, following Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible. And whenever I first, um, you know, heard about your book and um, was emailed to see if uh, you could come on. I was so intrigued because a lot of my dad's side of the family is Mormon. And so this is something mm-hmm. that's really personal for me and that I've grown up, you know, hearing a lot about um, and trying mm-hmm. to understand the differences between them and how to talk to my family about it. Um, mm-hmm. So this is super interesting for me. And so uh, would you just share a little bit more of your story? Yes. 
Well, by the time I was probably five, six years old, my greatest, deepest dream and desire was to one day find the man of my dreams and marry him in the Mormon temple. And Mm -hmm. there we would be able to work our way into eternal life in the celestial kingdom, which is the highest heaven in the Mormon church, Mm is doctrine of heaven. And so that's where Heavenly Father and Jesus would reside in this highest of the three heavens. And there I would bear spirit babies throughout eternity. And my husband would be God and I would be his high priestess or goddess. And that was eternal life. And that is what I set my mind on, making myself worthy to live the kind of life that would qualify me for a temple marriage. And then eventually exaltation, we called it, into godhood in the celestial kingdom. And so At eight years old, I was baptized in the Mormon church by my dad, and that was the best day of my life up to that point. And that was where I began my journey toward this temple marriage because I needed to be a member of the Mormon church. And so I set out with all the vigor in me to make myself worthy of Heavenly Father's love and acceptance and Heavenly Father's and make myself worthy of one day attaining a temple marriage. And the things I needed to do to make myself worthy was to go to church every Sunday, be charitable toward people, pay a full tithe, which is 10% in the Mormon church. Um, There's a long list of Mm -hmm. obediences we needed to keep. And so anyway, at eight years old, that did not feel like a heavy burden. Mm -hmm. But I realized Probably by the time I was 10, there was a shadow side to me. And the shadow side prevented me from being worthy of Heavenly Father's love and acceptance. And so I lived in this tension, hiding my shadow side, presenting the worthy side. And by the time I was a preteen, what had felt like kind of skipping rocks to create into the foundation of my eternal destiny felt more like carrying big rocks. And then by the time I was a teenager, it felt like I was dragging boulders. It just, the Mm -hmm. weight became so heavy and more and more I felt unworthy. And so I was always under this blanket of shame and, and figuring out how I could get out from under this shame. And my senior year of high school, I had had friends who began partying and abusing alcohol in high school, and I resisted and resisted because the word of wisdom in Mormonism, which is a health code, it's Mm. not consuming coffee, tea, alcohol, or tobacco. And it Mm. is a very significant sin to violate the word of wisdom. And Mm. so Mormonism believes or teaches degrees of sin, like sin is not just sin. And that is one of the worst sins. And so I bore down and I resisted and I didn't want to fall prey to that. There was so much else I was falling prey to. And then my senior year of high school, I was like a pressure cooker waiting to blow, living in this tension of conditional love and acceptance. And I began to consume alcohol with the same passion I had sought to live out my Mormonism and make myself worthy and Mm -hmm. all those years. And I swung from this legalistic system of works-based love to not caring at all 
and licentiousness in consuming whatever I wanted to consume to fill the emptiness and shame in my soul. So I thought I was experiencing freedom and I did experience freedom from this law of Mormonism, so to speak, and the Mm -hmm. way it had fleshed out in our family's culture, because you take on your God's accent. And if your God's accent is conditional love and acceptance, that's, that's what filters down into our lives. And so it wasn't just my religious system and culture. It, it filtered down into the family culture. And um, so I found freedom from that shame, but I didn't realize there was a deeper bondage entwining itself around my soul. So my senior year of high school, I partied really hard. That led me to the University of Utah to play tennis rather than Brigham Young University where I planned to go just because I wasn't wanting to submit myself to Brigham Young University's the Mormon church's standards at the time. So Mm -hmm. it was there that a friend on the tennis team introduced me to Gary and Gary was also partying. And so our personalities clicked, our lifestyles clicked, but on our, a few dates in, he asked me what I believed and what religion I was from. And I told him I was a Mormon And I said, what about you? And he said, I'm a born-again Christian. And I was like, what the heck is a born-again Christian? (laughs) I'd never heard of one of those in my entire life. (laughs) And so Gary and I began this relationship, and he truly became my God. I had always worshipped boys. I Mm. had been that had been bred into me, and I was faithful to that. And so Gary became life to me and filled my soul. Um, in a way that he never was meant to. And a month into our relationship, we were in his car driving around campus in December. The snow was falling. Hmm. And I went to get out of the car. And as I grabbed the door handle, he said, Lisa, how do you know the church is true? And nobody had ever asked me that in my entire life. And I whipped my head around and I said, Gary, I know the church is true because I've experienced a burning in the bosom to confirm that it's true. And he said, how could you entrust your entire eternal destiny to a burning in the bosom? Hmm. And I had no other way of determining truth. That's all I knew. I didn't, I mean, it didn't even, there no other paradigm. And so then he said, how do you know Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God? And I answered again without thinking, because I've experienced a burning in the bosom and I know that he is. I've known it my whole life. And he said, can you defend the historicity of Mormonism? Can you defend the authenticity of Joseph Smith as a prophet? And then he went on with legitimate questions. And as one came after the next, what had felt like such a firm foundation turned to quicksand beneath me. And I just Mm -hmm. felt like I was in a free fall. And I realized I can't defend what I believe. And it terrified me. And I didn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I shut it down for about a month. And then after a month, Gary and I were really falling for each other. And he just said, let's study the Bible. You believe it to be true partially, as far as it's translated correctly. I believe it to be the word of God, period. So we began to, I set out to convert Gary and he just set out to introduce me to a Jesus that he believed Mm -hmm. I'd never met. Mm -hmm. And that's where that began. And then through the next nine months of Bible study, we fought like mad. We partied on weekends, <laughs> fought like crazy. He knew what he believed. 
I was learning and defending to the core, but for the first five months, we, it's like, I could not see up from down and every major doctrine about who God is, the nature of people, everything felt like 180 degrees from what I believed and what I found in Mormon scripture to be in contrast with the Bible. And so I just, it began to rock my world. Like when he first told me about God, there's one God who's always been God. He was never a man who progressed his way to Godhood, but he's always been God. And the Father, Son, and Spirit are all God, just one in three persons. I had no category for that. I'd never heard of the Trinity. And I was just angry. I'm like, this is crazy talk. How can three be one God? And that's where it began. And it just felt like absolute craziness because my God had been a man who worked his way to Godhood, just like I was working to do. And so that was the beginning. And then I remember one day when he showed me in the Bible how we have a sinful nature, not a divine nature. That was the second doctrine, which just rocked my world. And I had no category for that because I'd been taught to believe that people are divine in nature and we're, we're direct offspring of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and Jesus is our brother in this pre-existing spirit world. So it's like every major doctrine was 180 degrees from what I'd known to be true, and I didn't believe the Bible was the inerrant Word of God. So I just for five months started reading books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and Apologetics for the Bible, and after five months... I came to embrace that the Bible is the Word of God and to be mm. trusted. And that began this breakthrough that I would say, like peeling an onion, where mm -hmm. just one piece comes off my eyes at a time, and I began to accept my nature from a biblical vision that I'm sinful and I need a Savior, not to help me overcome the grave like the Mormon Jesus, but to save me to eternal life and that a temple marriage was not going to enable me to make me worthy for that. The only mm. Jesus could. So over the next four months, I wrestled through all these doctrines and reading and reading Mormon, Mormon texts, mm. Joseph Smith's writings, prophets writings, and then the Bible and a few like Josh McDowell books, etc. And at the end of that, nine-month period, someone gave me a book called Beyond Mormonism. And I read that one day. I was still living at home because my parents lived blocks from the university. So I would have all these books under my mattress Aww. and just hiding them for months. And I locked myself in my room and I read Beyond Mormonism one day. And as I journeyed with Jim Spencer, that author, through his journey out of Mormonism to the biblical Jesus, I knew I, I want this Jesus in my life. I don't get this Trinity. I don't get this God. And that was the stumbling block for me at that point. And I, I just said, God, I know I want to be in your kingdom. I want Jesus in my heart. I want to join your kingdom, but mm. I don't get you. Like, I can't understand <laughs> this. People were describing the Trinity like an egg, like the shell, the yolk, the white. And so it was all heresy that I was being taught, which is why I couldn't mm -hmm. even really grasp it. And anyway, God just came so near and he pulled back almost like a curtain and just transported me 
into eternity, I would say. And there Jesus was on the throne and he was surrounded by a sea of people bowing down, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a vision of a holy God because my Mormon God had been brought down to my size and I would Mm -hmm. be exalted into his. And I fell on my face weeping, Mm -hmm. like, Jesus, come in. Mm -hmm. You have full access. I need you. I need your covering. I need you to take my shame. And He walked me into his kingdom that day. Wow, that is so powerful. It is so Mm. cool to see like how God revealed himself to you over a period of time, but also like in a moment, you know, like he he took time to to get your brain around it. And then you finally were like, "Okay, I'm not going to understand you, but I know you're real. Yes. And that is so cool to see. Um, I would love to also hear just, you know, this is probably the, one of the hardest parts of it all, but like what it was like to tell your family and what their response mm-hmm. was like. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, well, I had, I had received Christ 14 months earlier before I was ready to make that move and tell my family I was a Christian. And so I finally made an appointment with my parents and I took them to a little Japanese restaurant because I just thought Asian restaurants are quiet (laughs) (laughs) and they're small. It's not like macaroni grill where there's all this noise. (laughs) And I need to be in a public space to contain this because Uh I know all had be bad. Yes. And for me, my greatest gain, I knew, would be my parents' greatest loss. And so Hmm. I sat with them and moved my food around my plate for a few minutes. And then I just looked at them and I said, Mom and Dad, I need you to know that I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. And that's all I said. And my mom began to wail. And she screamed, you've left us. You've left the family. And my dad began to talk scripture and take verses and attempt to do some doctrinal battle. And I just sat there thinking, I've never been so turned toward the family than now. Mm. But to my mom, their reality is I've left the family. And I've broken that eternal chain of eternal family because that's what Mormons believe that we're to be families forever sealed in the Mormon temple forever throughout eternity and so that's where it began and I think I just like so many tears over the next year and a half my mom fell into a deep deep depression And when I was with my family, it was usually every Saturday night for dinner. Like the whole family would go out for dinner. There were five Mm. siblings. And then um, Sundays, we always had Sunday dinner. And so I never knew what I was going to get. I I didn't know if everyone was going to behave themselves or if one of my parents was going to go off on me and just lose it. Hmm. So it was a really tumultuous time (sighs) emotionally and relationally. I lost all my friends from who had been more, who were Mormons. They didn't know what to do with me. Hmm. We didn't know how 
to have those conversations. Uh, we were all too young and it was too culturally shocking and um, disturbing. And in their minds, I'd been with, you know, carried away by the world. My parents thought I was in a cult. And um, so at the same time, I had been connected with Campus Crusade for Christ back then at the University of Utah, and they became my family. And that was just God's incredible, lavish grace on my life, that I had this instant community of friends and staff people with crew who were walking beside me and so faithful. And I would really, what marked this period with God was I would wake every morning and I'd need to read the entire book of Galatians before I could walk out of my little house because mm. it was like food to set my mind on what was true. And yeah. there was so much spiritual warfare, a great deal of spiritual oppression, like physically, all sorts of stories where it was just, um, I think near hell in the sense that there was so much broken relationship mm. and um, so much pain. But at the same time, I probably grew spiritually 10 years in that next, in that year and a half, because I was so desperate for Jesus right. every moment of every day. Mm. You had to just cling to him, right? In order yeah. to keep going because I mean, personally, I think it depends on your personality, but even just as human beings, we put so much of our, um, we're, we're just wired to desire relationships. We're wired mm -hmm. to want to feel loved and seen and known. And so we put a lot of that in our family. And so to know that your mm -hmm. family is not happy with you and more than not happy with you, not wanting you to be a part or, you know, mm -hmm. thinking that you've completely disappointed them. I mean, that just had to be, like you said, just hell, right? Just feeling yeah. like, man, that was, you know, you had to weigh if it was worth it, right? Yes. And so yes. you had to cling to Jesus and know that you know, man, this is a huge sacrifice, but I know that you are worth it. Mm -hmm. which is which is just so hard and so I can see how much you know growth that had to have been for you in your life because uh you literally had to be like I'm giving up everything for you and it created a lot of space for him to fill and mm -hmm. and praise God that he gave you the ability to do that because it could have been totally easy to question it all and and listen to what your parents were saying and wonder did I make the right choice and but mm. experiencing God like that I'm sure you you know you knew that he was yes. real and you're like I've already done <laughs> I've already done the dirty work here with with trying to figure out the differences between the two and so yeah yes and the 14 month period where between when I trusted Christ and when I told my parents, that season was so um, significant in my life with God because I was still partying, but now I didn't want to, but mm -hmm. I couldn't stop. I was, I'd become powerless over these, I would call them addictions, like yeah. I, partying. And so what was so different 
from the biblical Jesus, from the Mormon Jesus, is that, or between them, is that the biblical Jesus was there with me at the parties. And he was with me in the shadows. And he was with me the morning after the parties when I would feel so much shame for what I'd done. And I hadn't felt shame before. Mm. I'd shut that down. But now there was, there was not, not a bad kind of shame, but one that was drawing me to give it up mm. and let him have my whole heart. And it was like, Jesus was always present and he was always loving me. And that was so transforming. Mm -hmm. And being with him in that 14 months, I mean, someone on the outside looking in might have said, well, she really didn't know Christ yet. There was not manifestation. But that was a season of some of the deepest intimacy where I was not living a life that was representative of Christ in me. And yet he was still so for me, so with me and wooing me into a surrender that would bring freedom. Hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that period was needed just to like truly be with him and, you know, let him start, let him start changing your life. You know, like you said, like starting to experience that deep conviction. And it's like, so many times we think all of a sudden, okay, if we start to follow Jesus, everything is going to be happy dandy and we're, you know, never going to make bad choices again. Like, and mm -hmm. that's just not, that's just not reality. And it's an ongoing lifelong struggle with sin, but having Jesus like gives us the ability to, you know, he, he allows us to, to turn from those things and gives us the conviction that we need. Um, yeah. when we're starting to turn away and idolize other things. So mm -hmm. um, you had already started to see like that working power of how he can yes. do that, which I'm yes. sure helped in, in being able to tell your family. Absolutely. Um, because then you were able to, to see and to be able to testify to the fact that no, he's, he's doing something like mm -hmm. I've never experienced this kind of relationship. I've never experienced the fact that like I can testify to the fact that he is changing me, you know, and yeah. here are the ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's truly amazing. And I would love to ask you just how do you think it would be best, you know, if my listeners or even for myself, um, have friends or family of the Mormon faith, like how would you encourage us to engage in conversation with them? Um, what does that yeah. look like for you or, or even any other religion, honestly, like I think that this could apply to any other um, religion that is outside mm -hmm. of the Christian faith in, in talking about like the fact that there is one true God and, and that can be hard mm -hmm. for a lot of people if they've, grown up with this just one belief, you know, and so how do we engage in conversation with them? Mm -hmm. It's such a good question. And I, I, my approach is to always, I love journeying with people. And so I ask the Lord with people he's crossed my paths with, Lord, just open the door to let me join in the conversation you're having with this person. Mm. There's no pressure. Jesus yeah. is wooing. Jesus is pursuing. And I want to join in the conversation. So right. 
That's my big picture. I have a new Muslim neighbor. I've been praying that God would give me a Muslim friend for a couple years. Mm. And in the book, Out of Zion, I talk about journeying with Tiffany, who happened, I would say God plopped her down five houses from me. And she was from Utah, and she's Mormon. And she ended up, I got to journey with Tiffany toward the biblical Jesus the year I was writing my book. So you could read about her in Out of Zion. But what's interesting is Tiffany moved back to Utah, not planning to do that when they moved here. And a Muslim family moved in that house. And I'm like, wow, I've been praying for two or three years for a Muslim friend. And now they're down the street. And Mm so um, so I want to join her journey. I know a lot about Mormonism. And the way I would, my first foot forward with a Mormon is to ask them to share their testimony with me. Because A Mormon's testimony is their determiner of truth. And they're very free to articulate their testimony. They want to share it. They share Mm -hmm. it monthly in church. They set up meetings to do that. So that's very much a normal part of their culture. And then I get to share my testimony with them. And eventually that can lead to a conversation about how, well, we both like have these deep, firm testimonies that what we believe is true. So there must be another determiner of truth Hmm. over personal testimony. And for a Mormon, they don't have that grit at all. Yeah. But that's where Gary took me. How do you know the church is true? That's a great intro question, just to be curious. And so I would, I mean, just totally ask God for a desire to make you curious about anybody and everybody. And so that's my first foot forward. And then as you go through testimony, it's helpful to know several terms that are really critical terms. And this is where, you know, every religion has a dialect, every religious system, there's a culture and a dialect, Mm -hmm. and it's very helpful to understand the dialect. Mm -hmm. And so if you, salvation and eternal life are one of those two of those really critical terms for a Mormon, where salvation does not have the biblical meaning of salvation and eternal life. It just means overcoming the grave. And so I hear so often people say, I said to the missionaries when they came to my house, well, we believe we're saved by grace. And they said, well, we do too, Mm -hmm. because they've redefined salvation to mean overcoming the grave. And Jesus gave that to everybody who's ever existed on this earth. Hmm. But eternal life is where I define it as with the Father and the Son and the Spirit eternally in their presence, that's only the highest heaven in Mormonism. And only Mormons who have a temple marriage can experience that. Hmm. Nobody else will. And that is determined by their good works, their temple marriage and everything that is necessary to make that happen. And so that's where you can draw that delineation. But In my book, I lay out the biblical plans of salvation through my story and my search. And I just always have that grid in mind so that as I'm, if I'm with a friend, praying that God's so much prayer covering and just asking the Lord to open the doors so I'm ready to walk through them when the door opens. And I know at any point in time, I have this plan of salvation. Who's God? Who are we? Why are we here? What are we hoping for in the end? And how do we get there? And if you have those in mind, really, that's the important stuff. And you can get into the historicity 
and you can get into the authenticity of Joseph Smith as a prophet, but I wouldn't have that be your first foot forward because if you don't hold up the hope of a biblical Jesus, that leaves them in complete desolation because Mm -hmm. they've been told the Mormon church is the only true church on the face of the earth. All the Christian creeds are an abomination to the Lord. And so nothing's true if the Mormon church isn't true. And it just leaves them in total desolation if there's not the hope of a biblical Jesus. Mm. So that's the short of it, which is, it's hard to cover all that. Right. But I would say, I don't know any much about Islam. I know a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I look forward to those conversations with my new neighbor. Just tell me about, tell me how it began. Tell me what you love about it. Tell me what's hard for you. And just to begin being very curious. And then there's an opening mm. to hold up what Jesus, who he is for us right. as Christ followers and his kingdom and how different it is. Mm-hmm. I love that. Just the, you're... Uh, wording of joining them in the journey or just in the conversation and what's going on because, you know, ultimately it's not up to us, right? Like it's their salvation. And if they come to know the Lord is not up to us at all. Um, But it is, it is part of our calling to engage in the conversation and not in a way that's like, you're wrong. And here, let me tell you why, but joining them into where they're at, which is exactly mm-hmm. what Jesus would do, and just yeah. starting to talk about it and, and not in a way that is that is pointing out anything about um, their faith that is wrong, because that's going to turn you away. I mean, that would turn yeah. me away. And so I like the, yeah. that that wording and, and, you know, it's, it's helpful for me to remember, like, just, just engage in the conversation, just, Mm -hmm. you know, just meet them where they're at, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, because sometimes we feel that pressure of like, well, you need to be sharing the gospel, like jump to it. If they don't know it, like they don't have tomorrow, you know, but it's also like, we don't have that, that power, you know, just because, just because we, we do share the gospel doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to accept it in that moment, you know? Yeah. Um, And the most powerful way we will ever share the gospel is to embody Jesus. hmm. I've lived with my family for 29 years since I left the Mormon church and started following the biblical Jesus. And I've not had many conversations at all with anyone but my parents in that time. And with my parents, it was mostly in the first two years. And so all that my husband and I have done is embody the gospel for them, lavish them with unconditional love, truth, grace. And people don't experience that kind of grace in Mormonism. They don't know it. The only context I'd heard of grace is it's for by grace we are saved after all we can do in Mormonism. Mm. So the focus was always in after all I can do. And it's really laborious. It's a very heavy, (laughs) heavy religion. So when you can extend and embody Jesus, it's really transforming for people. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's so powerful and it's so helpful just even for me uh, in with friends that I have that are not believers and things like that, just to kind of remember that, um, you know, 
our actions do speak louder. And so, you know, paying attention to the ways that God is, you know, asking him to, to continue to show Jesus through your actions, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and that comes with being obedient in, in our questioning and things like that too. But, uh, how we treat others are definitely more powerful. Um, and your story, like being able to just share your own story, your own testimony are super Mm -hmm. powerful things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you so much for just for telling us your story and um, being able to kind of in- encourage us in that because yeah, I, I myself am super encouraged. So, um, so I want to go ahead and ask you my last three questions. And I ask these to every guest that comes on the podcast. And the first one is what is one thing that you wish you knew as a 20 something? Such a good question. <laughs> right? that to me the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to limit it to one. Right. That's hard. Yes. That's, so this much is I always the hardest you. question for sure. It is. <laughs> yeah. So I've really pondered that the last 24 hours, especially. And I think if I could only wish for one thing, I wish I would have had an understanding about Trinitarian theology that at the center of the universe is a perfect, holy community of love of Father, Son, and Spirit who are continually pouring their love into one another for the sake of the other. And the love and the bond between the Father and the Son is so holy and pure that it created, the, that it formed itself in the third person of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is the embodiment of love between the Father and the Son and has come to indwell all Christ followers. Mm. And we were designed to be caught up in this community of love. And so coming into God's kingdom isn't like the way it was presented to me way back in college was then you'll be saved to heaven. Not this vision of this rich life with God and their community of love in the here and now and every moment of every day. And my design is to be, I was created for this community where they would pour all of their love into me so that I could pour it back to them in worship, pour Mm. it into others in community and pour it into the world, which is mission. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, I had walked with Jesus 14 years before I had had this vision painted for me of this rich life with God every moment of every day and this vision of love in his kingdom. And I, it changed everything for me where Mm. suddenly my demands of God became transformed into an, a hunger for deeper intimacy and what felt like spiritual practices, which felt like burdens became invitations And so it just, love was at the center, no longer was like sin at the center of the world. And I think if I could only choose one thing, I would choose that because it's transformed everything for me. Hmm. So true. Just understanding the persons of each of them, but also knowing that they are one and they are all for you. I mean, so powerful. Mm -hmm. And there are theologians as they unravel this, there's a book by Daryl Johnson called Experiencing the Trinity that I love. Yeah, that's the one I was, thinking read that I was one? like, I know there's a good book out there, but I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And it, they present it as the divine dance that we've been invited into this divine dance. And we just get to learn to move 
to the Father, Son, and Spirit's rhythm of love. Mm. And that's just such a different picture than I than was painted for me. So mm. if I had to choose one thing, I guess that, that would be, be it. it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, the next one is, what are you reading, listening to, and are watching these days? I'm reading a book called In the Shelter, which I just happened upon through the Nomad podcast, which is what I'm listening to. Hmm. Uh, I love Nomad podcasts. The The people are from England who the podcasters are, and it's just really out of the box. So I heard about this theologian. He's an Irish Catholic theologian, and his name's Padraig Otuma. And so I ordered his book right away and it's called In the Shelter and he's a poet and he's he's all about narrative and story in the New Testament in the Gospels and he's rocking my world. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading that and I'm reading um Father Richard Rohr's Everything Belongs which yeah. I'm loving. So yeah. those two I'm reading simultaneously right now and then nomad podcast and the renovari podcast about spiritual practices hmm. i have so many podcasts <laughs> i love oh, the bible yes project. yes for the bible project they're great so listening to those um what was the third? anything you're watching Oh, Stranger Things. <laughs> Stranger Things. Yeah. Because I was scared. I haven't started the new. I'm just in the third season. Oh, nice. But oh, I yeah. am so intrigued. And the 80s, they do such a good job portraying the 80s. Yeah. I haven't fully watched it. I watched a few episodes because I, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna like watching this by myself. So Yeah, I know it's <laughs> freaky. It's it was such a love-hate relationship the first season because I would like have nightmares. I don't like suspense very much or yeah. anything like that. But I was so captivated <laughs> by the whole story. And the parents being so checked out, it seemed, it was so accurate in the yeah. 80s. It just, so now so you're much. all in, huh? I'm all in. <laughs> I love that. But my son, who's 18, who still lives here, he's always um, roping me into shows that he likes. And so he, he introduced me to a show called Lucifer that's a little cheesy, but it's intriguing. Basically, Lucifer decided he wanted to come up to Out of Hell into onto earth and experience what it's like for mortals and it is quite intriguing but uh, there's some little cheesiness to his character but my son and I always are wanting to play together and one way one way we play is like at 10 years old I was homeschooling him and he said you need to learn how to play like I'm a very driven person (laughs) like I'm going to teach you how to play you need a play coach and I'm it and on my That's birthday awesome. last year, he was sharing words of life with me. And he said, Mom, I don't even need to coach you anymore. You've become so good at it. <laughs> but Aww. one of the ways we connect is through shows. So I'm giving Lucifer a chance. <laughs> That's amazing. You're like, okay, I'm still going to try. Themes, though. It does have some intriguing themes. Yeah. Anyway. That's, That's fun. Amazing. At least, if anything, it's a fun way to, to hang out with your son, huh? Yes, totally. That is so great. Okay, then lastly, what is refreshing you these days? Anything that's just like giving you life? Yes. I start every morning at the gym 
And on the elliptical machine, I just have time with the Lord and I read and I pray and I stick on my worship music and then I lift weights and I just keep podcasts going and worship. And that's like, I need to move when I have my time with the Lord like that because Uh I've got fibromyalgia and adrenal fatigue. And if I were to get out of bed and sit in a quiet time chair, I'd fall asleep. (laughs) So I do a lot better moving. And that time is so sacred to me. I can't live without it. And I remember years where I was like, oh, I'm not having my time with the Lord and this whole Trinitarian vision of God where I get to do life with Him all day long and that's just where I get to start. If I don't start there, there is such a lack in my soul that I experience all day long. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's so nurturing Mm -hmm. and just needs. I I hunger for it every day. Mm -hmm. And then... There are three things. The second thing is my son bought a bearded dragon two years ago and this little lizard. And he was so excited about it. And after about a week, he wanted nothing to do with Finn. That's what he named him. (laughs) Dude, you're so indifferent to him now, like angry at him. Why won't you pay any attention? He's like, all he does is hiss at me and flares little beard. And basically... Finn was not like terrified, I'm sure. He's suddenly in this nether house, huge tank. And so I said, I bet you have to bond with him like you do an adoptive child. And I'd done all that research. Aww. And so I look up how to bond with a dragon. I end up bonding with this little dragon. I've never oh been a pet person. So every night I have snuggle time with Finn for like an Aww. hour. And he just lays on my chest like a newborn. Spread oh my eagle. gosh, what? And rest, <laughs> yes, and he just like totally puts his little body weight all into me and oh sometimes he'll climb up and nuzzle his little mug into my neck. Wow. And he knows my voice and it has changed me. Like I suddenly have compassion for all creation like I've never <laughs> had before. <laughs> so snuggle time wow. with Finn. Yes. And then after the gym, it's a practice, a spiritual practice for me to come get in our hot tub at least for 10 minutes because I just want to hit the ground running. Yeah. And then it's really beautiful outside right now. So I'll I'll make myself just go lay in the sun and listen to the birds chirp. Mm-hmm. And that practice really renews me. And it takes a lot of discipline, but it's amazing how it, it's like the life breath of God gets blown into me. Hmm. That is so, yeah, there's something just so refreshing about getting outside, being in nature, not bringing your phone and just like, hello world, I live in you, not in a device. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, God, you created this. (laughs) And you did create the people that created this phone, but the trees are better. (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it and am just so encouraged. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was a joy. Thanks so much for tuning in again today, ladies. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa. I pray that it was helpful for you to hear and encouraging in your own walk with the Lord. 
So go check out Lisa's book. It's called Out of Zion to read more about her story and her journey. I seriously loved reading and hearing more of the details that aren't mentioned here in this episode. So I did some inventory last week and we are getting down to just a few sweatshirts in each color and size. So uh, hurry. This month, I'm giving you 25% off with the code I love WWL. So that's all caps I L O V E W W L. So head to my website, which is www.waterwithlemonpodcast.com and get your fave color and size. Remember, I have yellow and blue, and use that code I L O V E W W L at checkout, and you'll get that 25% off. Also, if you take a picture with your sweatshirt on, maybe you already have your sweatshirt, so this is for you, ladies. And if you send that picture to me, then you might have a chance to be featured on my Instagram page, so just send that over to me. Lastly, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that the episodes automatically download each week and you never have to miss one. How weird is that? Thanks for tuning in today, and I'll catch you back next week. Stay fresh, my people!